0: You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. Well, good day there. It's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Tim, and it's a real privilege to open up God's Word for you this morning. As you can see, we're in a uh, series at the moment called The Secret Lessons in Contentment. And so I thought I'd begin by discussing what one author has called discontentment made audible discontentment made audible we're thinking about contentment so what is discontentment made audible it's an interesting phrase what's it referred to well uh, in Philippians 2.14 our passage Paul the Apostle says do everything without grumbling grumbling is discontentment made audible uh, I don't know about you but I was thinking about it this week and I was somewhat shocked to realise that really, I reckon in the last two years, I have probably spent more time grumbling than a lot in the past. I've grumbled about COVID and endless lockdowns. I've grumbled about rain and, is it La Nina or El Nina? I don't even know these days. Is it tired? it's tiredness and clingy kids? It's interest rates and falling house prices. And for me, sea urchins and a sore ankle. If you don't get that, don't worry. Now, to be honest, one of the reasons that I feel at least moderately comfortable sharing my uh, whinge list, let's be honest, my, my grumble list, is because I'm fairly confident you've got your own one. Uh, there may even be a little bit of overlap. The second reason I'm at least a moderate bit comfortable sharing my list with you is that I suspect you won't judge me, at least not too harshly. After all, yeah, grumbling, it may not be the most attractive thing, but you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, is it? It's not that serious, a little bit of grumbling. Well, it depends who you ask, it would seem. Because uh, according to God's word, grumbling is far more serious than most of us tend to give it credit for. So, for example, you go back to the Old Testament. Uh, you read there the story of God saving his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. They're slaves there. He brings them through the Red Sea and ultimately to the brink of the Promised Land, the land of Canaan. And then right before they go in, the Israelites decide, hey, let's do some recon. Let's figure out what the land is like. So they send in some spies into the land. And so the spies go in, they search it out. And when they come back, they report to the people. And the report effectively goes something like, hey, the land is amazing. It's flowing with milk and honey. It is incredible. But the people are giants. They make us feel like grasshoppers. And so if we enter, they are going to kill us. Have a listen to how the people respond to that report in Numbers 14. Numbers 14, 1 to 3. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Now, If grumbling uh, wasn't that much of an issue, you might expect God to sort of shrug it off maybe or a little gentle rebuke. If you know the story though, that's not exactly how it goes. Because take a look at how God responds later in the chapter, verse 26 to 32. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. In this wilderness... Your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who was grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. Israel's punishment for grumbling was that an entire generation didn't make it into the promised land. And you've got to remember who these people were, right? These weren't just sort of the tag right? These were those who slaughtered the lamb and put the blood on the doorframe of their houses in Egypt. These are those who the Apostle Paul says were baptized as they passed through the Red Sea. Right? These are those who experienced God's salvation from Egypt. And yet because of their grumbling majority of them over 20 didn't make it into the promised land and said they died in the wilderness. Gray City, it would seem that grumbling is far more serious of an issue than most of us tend to appreciate. In fact, the way that Paul frames his argument in today's passage would tend to suggest that if we're not careful then something as seemingly small as a grumbling spirit might actually get in the way of us reaching the promised land of heaven. If you've got a Bible, look at verse 14. I'll bring it up for you. I've summarized it for you. So I pulled a lot out because it's a little wordy, but there's a few conditional clauses in there. So let me just show you the logic. He begins verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, I've I've cut a, a bit out. It says, then you will shine among this crooked generation like stars in the sky, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So do it all without grumbling, then you, then I. It's framed in the positive, but the negative is implied, and so you could flip it around. You could hear Paul saying, hey, if you continue grumbling and arguing you're not going to shine like stars in the sky. Nor will I get to boast about you on the day of the Lord. Because it will turn out that if you keep grumbling, I may well have laboured in vain. You won't make it to the promised land of heaven. I'll say it again. Grumbling is not an acceptable sin, at least not according to God. Grumbling it would appear as something so serious that Paul says it may well get in the way of us making it to the promised land. So it raises the question, doesn't it? How do you combat a grumbling spirit? How do you combat a grumbling spirit? Well, Uh, That is the question that I think this passage that we're going to look at today is going to help us answer. Before we look at it, though, let me just flag something important, and that is the passage we're going to look at is going to help us combat a specific kind of grumbling. I say that because as you read through the book of Philippians, you don't get the impression that the Philippians found themselves grumbling about any and everything, right? They weren't grumbling about COVID and the rain and interest rates, Now. They probably were, to some extent, grumbling about their circumstances because they were suffering after all. But that doesn't seem to be their major issue. As you read through the letter, their major issue is that they're grumbling about each other. They're grumbling about their church. You can imagine it, can't you? They're walking home from church on Sunday. They say to their friend, man... These people talk a big game about being family, but no one ever invites me over for lunch or dinner, barely even talk to me. Let's say, you know, driving home from community group one night, do you hear what that person said tonight? They got some nerve, don't they? I reckon give them one or two weeks and then um, I don't know if I'm going back. Well, they'd say, man, I wish Paul had come back. At least send us Timothy, right? Timothy's not in prison, is he? These leaders we've got at the moment are average. (laughs) Grumbling is discontentment made audible. And if you, like some in the Philippian church, find yourself discontent with your church family and expressing it occasionally through grumbling, then I want you to listen up. Because it's a problem... And so if you, like me, are prone to a grumbling spirit, we need to pay attention today because Paul is going to show us how to combat a grumbling spirit. And it all comes down to one word, service. all comes down to one word, service. Not attending a church service, though I think that'll help, but serving one another. If you want to boil today's talk down, this is not the structure, but basically the big idea is Paul says, stop grumbling, start serving. Stop grumbling about each other, start serving one another. That's worth saying. If you were here last week, you may kind of hear that and go, Well, that kind of just sounds like a continuation of the point from last week. And to be honest, it is. Uh, if you were with us last week, you might remember uh, Paul used the example of Jesus Christ to encourage the Philippians to stop bickering. And to adopt a posture of humble service of one another. You know, consider others' interests before your own. In today's passage, he does a similar thing, but he doesn't hold up Jesus this time. Instead, today, he's going to hold up three different examples of people and say, imitate them Paul himself, Timothy his sidekick, and another guy, Epaphroditus. He's going to hold them up and say, these are examples of the kind of lives, this life of service that I want you to imitate and emulate. Now, just as a heads up before we jump in, as we read through, you'll notice Paul never explicitly says, hey, imitate me, imitate Timothy, imitate Epaphroditus. But he's going to say that in a week or two's time. So let me just show you the verse to justify why I think this is an appropriate approach for us today. So Philippians 3.17, Paul says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Today what we're going to do is take a look at the example of Paul together with the example of others who live as he does and focus our eyes on them so that we can learn what it looks like to live a life of service. Because according to Paul, that is what we need to cultivate if we're going to combat the grumbling spirit, which I suspect lies deep within all of us. So, simple structure, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Jump in. Start with Paul. By way of reminder, who is he? Well, Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. That basically means that he is an official emissary and delegate sent by Jesus to do ministry in his name. And to be honest, he was really good at it. Uh, We actually have at least evidence of three missionary journeys where Paul would go around traveling the Mediterranean Sea, uh, all kind of the the known world at the time around that region, preaching the gospel, planting churches, Uh, the Philippian church. So we're in the letter to the Philippians. Paul, was it eight or ten years back, Charlie? Twelve, whatever it was. Twelve years ago, uh, planted the church with Timothy. Timothy, we'll hear about him later. And now... The problem is he's now in prison. Now, if you found uh, COVID lockdowns tricky, um, which we all did, right? No one liked lockdowns. It was tricky. But I suspect Paul would have found that being in prison uh, tricky to go through, because this is a guy who loved to preach the gospel. He lived to preach the gospel. Now, I wanted to go surfing. I wanted to go out and like eat at restaurants. Paul had ambitions. He wanted to go out and preach the gospel. In fact, we actually know, he tells us in the letter to the Romans, I want to go to Spain, not to eat paella and visit his favorite football team. He wanted to go to Spain because no one had preached the gospel there. He wants to go preach the gospel, plant churches, but he's stuck in prison. He's in Rome, most likely, waiting to see if Caesar's going to have him executed for preaching the gospel. Now, if anyone could be excused a little grumbling, surely it's a guy like Paul. He devoted his life to the service of God. Here he is, locked in Rome, waiting on red tape and bureaucracy to see if he's going to make it out alive. Again, if someone could be excused from grumbling, it's Paul. Maybe grumbling against God. Come on, I'd served you. Maybe grumbling against others. You put me in prison. Maybe, maybe even grumbling against the Philippians. I mean, Think it through. It's, it's the kind of thing that he did amongst the Philippians that effectively got him in prison. But that's not what he does. He said, just take a look at his attitude. It's not one of grumbling, it's one of rejoicing. Look with me. Uh, this comes just after what has said before. So, you know, stop grumbling and arguing, then you'll shine and I will rejoice. He says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad I rejoice with all of you. I so say you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And in the Old Testament, uh, when God's people sacrificed a lamb or a goat, they're instructed to pour out a drink offering as well, which was kind of wine, and they pour it on, you know, over the sacrifice or on the corner of the altar, something like that. Now it's about a liter of wine, but compared to the lamb or the goat, right, it's the seasoning. It's like the salt and pepper, right? It's it's the seasoning on the top. Paul Paul says to the Philippians, church, Hey, hey guys, you're, they're not about to die. It doesn't seem likely. Um, but your life, your ministry, it's like a spiritual sacrifice. It, it's like a lamb. My life, it's like that. It's like the salt and pepper, it, it's the drink offering at the end. Uh, see, he seems to be saying, Hey, even if I, locked away here in prison, my life is ground out in the salt shaker of Caesar's dungeon. As long as that's sprinkled over your f- life and ministry, I don't regret it. I don't see that as a waste. Actually, I rejoice. That is a life well lived. I want you to rejoice with me. Because if it means that you guys get to shine like stars, if it means that you reach the promised land of heaven, it's worth it. There's something about Paul's words here that you feel like would have put the Philippian grumbling to shame, isn't there? Uh, there they were bickering amongst themselves. You know, oh, they didn't talk to me. Oh, they didn't invite me over. Maybe they're arguing about other stuff as well, but... And here Paul says, you know what, if I'm ground out, I rejoice. You ever grumbled about someone at church? I have, not about any of you, of course, (laughs) the other congregations. (laughs) Don't get me started. Paul tells the Christians in Philippi, hey, rather than grumbling about each other, why not learn from me and rather suffer for one another? Even if that suffering is just as small as putting up with each other's imperfections and annoying habits. Remember verse 15, Paul wants them to shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and evil generation. Grace When we whinge and we grumble and we argue, we're just like everyone else. We're not shining like stars, we're black holes. are you know, sucking the joy, the light, the love out of the atmosphere. So Paul says you've got a choice. Are you going to be like stars or black holes? Are you going to rejoice in the privilege of being called by God into a community of imperfect people and then serve them despite their imperfections or will you go on grumbling, perpetually discontent with the people that God's placed you in community with? Grace City, no church is perfect. Our church is definitely true in that sense. People will hurt you, they'll offend you, they'll let you down, I will let you down, so will others. We're not gonna shine like stars because we're perfect, we'll shine like stars because we suffer one another, we serve one another despite the imperfections. That's the kind of life of service that Paul lived, it's the kind of life of service that Paul is calling us to live as well, is that first example, Paul. Now let's move on to Timothy. Uh, read with me from verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Now, we're uh, saying Paul is doing at least two things by introducing Timothy here. The first, and probably the main thing he's doing, is making his love and his affection for the Philippians clear. Right? He wants them to know, guys, even though I haven't visited you because I'm in prison and I can't, but I haven't forgotten about you. I still love you. And I want to know how you're doing, right? This is before the days of telephone, right? Or email or Zoom or um, what's it called? FaceTime. Uh, you couldn't just call them up and say, hey, good to see you guys are going well. And so he says, what I want to do, what I intend to do is to send Timothy. Timothy helped start the church. I want to send him to you so that he can get you know, a bit of an update. He can come back and Report on how you're going and I'll I'll be, you know, happy. That's the first thing he's doing. But but the second thing he's doing in talking about Timothy here is he's holding him up as a second example of the kind of person that he wants the Philippians to live like. And we know that because of the way that he describes Timothy. So again, if you were here last week, um, or if you've got a Bible, cast your eyes over uh, Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Uh, Paul told him. Don't just look to your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. That's what he said he wanted them to do. But now look at the way that he describes Timothy. It's the same language. Uh, Philippians 2, I think that's the wrong verse, reference there. But He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests not those of jesus christ again paul is saying timothy is an example of the kind of person that i want you to be like i want you to emulate so what else do we learn from timothy about humble service well uh, if we stick with that verse and again i think the the reference uh, there we go it's right now Uh, let's just change the emphasis he says i have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare timothy was genuine He was genuinely concerned about the Philippians, right? So again, we've said it a few times. Uh, Timothy helped start the church in Philippi. Uh, For Timothy, the church in Philippi wasn't just a success story that he could boast about at pastor's conferences. They were people that he cared deeply about. Uh, Paul says he has a genuine concern for your welfare, In particular, how they're going with Jesus, their relationship with Jesus. That's why he kind of subs out everyone cares about their own interests, but Timothy cares about the interests of Jesus. Your welfare and your relationship with Jesus, it's the same thing. Now, at the risk of embarrassing him, where is he? Timothy reminds me of Matt Varco. Uh, Matt has a remarkable way of sticking with people. It's like Velcro. You know, you can't get rid of him. (laughs) remarkable way of sticking with people for the long term and not stopping until they are settled and established in the faith. Some of you know this from personal experience. You've come as either a non-Christian or, you know, sceptic or a seeker. Now you're a Christian or you're on your way because Matt cares about you. He has a genuine concern for your welfare. So he'll ask about your job and, you know, other things, but he cares about how you are going in your relationship with Jesus. It's a little bit like what Timothy was like. He had a genuine concern for the Philippians. Chances are he hadn't seen them in years. But they're on his mind, constantly wondering, oh, how are they going in their relationship with God? Imagine if each of us had a little less grumbling and a little more Timothy in each of us. You know those people that never come to your community group? What if rather than grumbling about him, you sort of reached out to him and said, Hey, how are you going? Is there anything I can do to serve? Anything I can do to help? Gracie, I want to encourage all of us to be more like Timothy. Rather than grumbling, let's have a genuine concern for the welfare of each other and do whatever it takes to see one another grow in Jesus. Now, <clears throat> before we move on, I want to draw your attention to what Paul says in that second half of that the paragraph. So it's verse 22 to 24. Paul writes, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Now it's clear from there. And what we read earlier, that Paul and Timothy deeply care about the Philippian church. But it's also clear that for various reasons, neither Paul nor Timothy are about to visit. Right? Paul is in prison, and Paul seems to be saying, we want Timothy to hang around till we figure out what happens with me. So neither of them are going to go. The hope is to go, but they're not going yet. So what's the plan? What's the solution? Well, as we're about to read... Paul decides to send back to the Philippians a guy named Epaphroditus. Uh, He's actually the guy who carries Paul's letter. So again, we're reading the letter to the Philippians. Epaphroditus carries that letter from Paul, again most likely in Rome, to Philippi. It's a journey of about 49 days from what I understand. The thing is, Epaphroditus was originally sent from the church in Philippi to Paul. Uh, That first journey, he took with him a, a financial gift from the Philippian church to kind of make life a little easier for Paul, to supply his needs. And most likely, again, we're kind of reading in between the lines here, but many commentators think he was sent by the Philippians to Paul to sort of stay with Paul, to sort of help minister to Paul's needs while he's in prison, perhaps even with the idea that maybe Paul could send Timothy back to them. Now, the reason any of that is significant is because as you read through the bit about Epaphroditus, verse 25 to 30, it's possible to just note a a touch of defense about Epaphroditus. Uh, Almost like Paul is anticipating the possibility that when Epaphroditus arrives in Philippi, the Philippians are going, uh, what are you doing back here? Uh, We sent you to Paul, kind of hoping that he would send Timothy back to us. What's up? In other words, again, reading between the lines a little bit, it's not explicit, but it's possible that the Philippians would have grumbled about Epaphroditus when he arrived as well. And so as you read through, Paul's clearly kind of amping up Epaphroditus. He's great. Uh, At the very risk of offending our dear brothers, it's a little bit like like, oh man, he sent us a student minister back. Guys, come on, I love you. Where are you? Come on, guys. Love you, Caden. All right. All right. So, Epaphroditus, let's look at the student minister. All right, again, so what, what does he do? Well, again, he holds him up as an example to emulate. Take a look at verse 25. It says, But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co worker, and fellow servant, soldier, sorry, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs, right? Notice Paul's description of him. He's not just your messenger. Now he is that. He took care of my needs. But he's also my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier. That language of fellow soldier uh, most likely is kind of picking up the fact that a little like Paul, Epaphroditus had suffered a couple war wounds in the service of Christ. In other words, This wasn't the rookie, you know, wet and green behind the ears that they'd sent off to Paul. This is a guy who's, as we'll see in a moment, risked his life in the service of the gospel and actually deserves the respect of the Philippian church. You get a sense of this more from verse 29 to 30. Take a look. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Again, interesting thing to say if that was always anticipated. Maybe they're kind of, oh, why do we get Epaphroditus back? Uh, And honor people like him. Why? Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. Uh, Epaphroditus got so sick on the journey to see Paul that he almost died. We don't know the exact circumstances of the sickness, uh, but the, the language of Paul uh, sorry, Epaphroditus risking his life, maybe indicates that it was something about what Epaphroditus did that maybe actually made it a little worse. Again, commentators will pick up on the fact that that word risked his life. It's kind of it, It's not used anywhere else. It's it's the first time it sort of pops up in the ancient literature. Maybe Paul actually coined the word. All of which is sort of trying to say, is it possible that Epaphroditus contributed to his own sickness in saying he risked his life again we we don't know the circumstances but maybe Uh, so sets out on the journey it's 49 days long gets sick along the way and rather than sort of stepping out to recover properly before pressing on maybe he presses on even at great cost to his own health all in order to reach paul in rome with the financial gift just before it's too late Again, we, we don't know that for certain, but if Epaphroditus was alive today, I suspect many of us would have felt the need to rebuke him. You know what I mean? Like, um, Epaphroditus, self-care is quite important, you know. <laughs> um, hey, like, uh, the world will go on without you. Um, uh, you can't care for others if you don't care for yourself. I'm not saying that there's no place for self-care, there obviously is. But I, I can't feel like our current cultural moment has maybe swung so far in the direction of self-care that a guy like Epaphroditus seems sinful, whereas Paul said, you know what, honour people like him. He almost died for the sake of the gospel. Uh, several years ago, a Sri Lankan pastor named Ajith Fernando wrote an article for Christianity Today called, To Serve is to Suffer. Uh, At one point in the article he wrote this, he says, I get the strong feeling that many in the West think struggling with tiredness from overwork is evidence of disobedience to God. My contention is that it's wrong if one gets sick from overwork through drivenness or insecurity, but we may have to endure tiredness when we, like Paul, are servants of people. Uh, Some of you are perpetually tired and a little bit sick all the time. Now, I want to be careful because it may be that if you're insecure and fueled by selfish ambition, you need to repent and find rest in Jesus Christ. But if you're a little bit sick and tired all the time, because like Paul, you are pouring yourself out in the service of others, Paul says, actually, we've got to honor people like you. People like you are to be our heroes. Grace City, Uh, the church needs more people like Epaphroditus. Again, I want to be careful. I suspect it's not a one-size-fits-all circumstance. Some of you are like, oh, I'm feeling guilty. Let's just hold up the Epaphrodituses among us. Because when Epaphroditus got sick, he didn't grumble and whinge and ask for a term off. He pushed on. Because like Paul, he considered a privilege to suffer for the sake of God and his people. We could do with more of them. Let me me draw it all to a close. Keep your Bible open because I do want to take you to one more verse. But what have we seen? Well, we've seen three separate examples of the kind of self-sacrificial service that Paul's encouraging us to in order to help combat that grumbling spirit that dwells within each of us. We've got the Apostle Paul. Rejoice that he could be the salt and pepper on the life and ministry of the Philippians. You've got Timothy, who showed a genuine concern for the welfare of the Philippian church, and you've got Epaphroditus, who risked his life for the sake of the gospel. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, you know, there's weight on your shoulders. Tim, the bar is too high. I just feel guilty and like I can't do it, and thanks for nothing. Well, this is where I, I want to remind you of two things. First thing I want to remind you about is remember what we saw last week, right? Paul didn't start with himself, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. He started with Jesus Christ. Last week, verse 5, in your attitude, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So if you think Paul had a reason to grumble, Jesus had infinitely more. He was God in the flesh. He was perfectly obedient at every point and yet he was nailed to a cross by members of his own creation. How does someone like that not grumble? I think the answers, or at least the echoes of an answer, are in our text. Because like Timothy, Jesus had a concern for your welfare. And therefore, he was willing not just to risk his life like Epaphroditus, but actually to give his life for people like you and I. Again, not just as a drink offering, metaphorical, like Paul but as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ, therefore, he's not just the model, he is also the means of our salvation. And so again, if you're sitting there feeling burden, feeling weight, feeling like, in order to make it to the promised land of heaven, I I said I want to take you to one more verse. I know you guys spent a bunch of time in your community groups looking at this one, but Paul starts this whole section By saying, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, Notice the language, work it out. It doesn't say work for it. It says work it out. It's already yours if you trust in Christ. Jesus has done the work. He died the death you should have died. He paid for your sins. He secured forgiveness. He is brought you and adopted you into the family of God. Now Paul says, work it out. Give up the grumbling spirit. Take on the family likeness, be like Jesus. Devote yourself to a humble, sacrificial spirit. Now maybe you say, Tim, I want to, but it's hard. It seems too much. I want to say, you're right, it is. You won't be able to do it. It's not on your own, but the good news is you're not alone, which is the second part. Again, you looked at this in your groups. I'll read from the dash. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Grace City left to ourselves, we'd all be black holes, sucking up the joy the love and the light out of the atmosphere but if you trust in Christ the light of the world is in you by his spirit melting your heart slowly but surely doing little pinpricks to let that light shine out so can I ask you and encourage you don't give in to grumbling grumbling is discontentment made audible what have we got to be discontent about the son of God loved you and gave himself up for you to bring you into the family. And so Paul says, take on the family likeness and give yourself to a humble, self-sacrificial spirit of servant Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you and confess that all too often we're not content, all too often that discontentment bubbles over into grumbling. We grumble against you, we grumble against others, we grumble against people of this church. Forgive us. Uh, We know that that's not what you want for us. Instead, would you continue to work in us to will and to work for your good pleasure making us lights amidst a wicked and uh, crooked generation that we might serve all our days, just like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.